Well, this is a big holiday weekend. You know, whenever the 4th ends uh, or is on a Monday, it, it's just great because you can take several days off together. And uh, again, obviously a lot of people have done that. It's just a great time to travel. And it's one of those, uh, I guess, most beloved holidays where we think about going outside, maybe going to the lake or going swimming or uh, having a cookout or something like that. There are several ways that we celebrate this holiday. But I was reading recently some statistics about Americans and vacations, and it, it shows that we really are not the best with taking vacations. We, we tend to not, uh, even if we go on vacation, uh, to not really know how to enjoy that time. And uh, this was me, me last week in Florida uh, working on this sermon. Uh, no. But one of the things that I, I noticed was, uh, like in Italy, a worker in Italy averages 42 vacation days per year. Sounds pretty nice, right? Yet another reason to go to Italy. A worker in France, 37 days. In Germany, 35 days. Brazil, 34 days. I think most of those are spent on their big... Uh, uh, yes. A worker in the United Kingdom, 28 days. Japan, 25. In America... Just 13 days. And I would say, even with those 13 days, we really struggle with being able to just rest, to be able to sit still, to not take our, our iPhones or Blackberries or Androids or whatever it is that you carry along with you wherever you go. And, and laptops, even if we're not doing work, we're busy with our social networks, right? We've got to keep up our social facade so that people will think that we really are everything that we make ourselves out to be and more. And this is just a part of our lives. We have great difficulty taking rest and vacation. Well, in our text this morning, Jesus describes a kind of vacation for us that, that is something that we can afford, we can't afford, and we can't afford not to do. It is something that He has invited us to come and participate in. And not only does Jesus give us an invitation, He tells us how it is that we are to rest and how we are to enjoy what it is that He has provided for us. So if you look again at the, at the Gospel of Matthew this morning, this very famous passage where Jesus describes this vacation, and it comes at the very end of the passage where Jesus says, Come to Me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus gives the description of where it is that they're to go on vacation. And that description, the answer to that, is to Him. Jesus says to His disciples, as He looks out at them, as He looks at the crowd of people who are so burdened by life. I mean, these are people that must have looked very weary to Jesus. You know, they had bags under their eyes and just looked beaten down. And there were many reasons, we'll get to in just a moment, uh, why this is so. But Jesus looks at them, He looks over at the religious leaders, and He says to them, and I think as well to the, the Pharisees and others that are gathered there, come to Me, and I will give you rest. If you will come unto Me, I will be able to help you, I'll be able to show you a whole different kind of life, a brand new way of living, but you need to come to me. Jesus doesn't send them to the temple. He doesn't send them to the law to go and to, to study the law a little bit more. He doesn't send them out into the, the wild aspects of society and all the things that are going on in, in the cities around them. He doesn't send them to money saying that money will make you feel better. He doesn't even send them away to the, the beach at the Sea of Galilee. No, He looks at them and He must have just pointed to Himself 
And as you see in this uh, sculpture, arms open wide perhaps, come to me and I will give you rest. Reminds me of the the reading in our uh, Song of Solomon reading this morning. Uh, where there is this description of God as the lover calling Israel to come to himself. And he says, arise, my love, my fair one, and come away with me. With me. Song of Solomon is such a beautiful piece of poetry, such a, a beautiful love letter that is written to Israel. And it's a, a great description uh, for relationships as well. But the, the ultimate kind of relationship is between God and his people. And He is calling His people to come away with Him. There is this aspect of God, this connecting aspect that we find here in Song of Solomon, but we find most specifically and clearly in Jesus where He says, Come away. Come to Me. You are My love. You are the the reason I, I created you and brought you into this world was for relationship. Come unto Me. There are a lot of vacations that are pitched out there to people that really don't add up. This past week, uh, I received a Reader's Digest in the mail. I have no idea why I got it. Um, Jenny gets all these strange magazines. We don't know where they come from. Somebody signed us up for all kinds. Uh, The other day, we got one for yachting. And I I wanted to ask Jenny, is there something I don't know about? Do we have a yacht somewhere? And I just look at it. And and before that, last year, we had one on piloting. And you sure don't want me flying a plane. But this one, Reader's Digest, I thought, I could probably use this in some way. But I, I looked at it, and uh, there was an article in there that said, Travel Digest, Pictures Do Lie. And it, it has these, you've probably seen these before, the before and after. And it says over here, uh, in the brochure, and it shows this beach off to the left, and uh, it looks like there's a place for you to go and to sit there under an umbrella, uh, get a, a nice drink, put your feet in the toe, your toes in the sand, and look out at the beach. Well, this is the reality. You know, you look over here, and it doesn't look so nice, does it? I mean, it's packed in. There's really nowhere to move, and um, just doesn't look quite as nice. Then there's this other one, uh, the London, West Hollywood, California. Uh, if you look here to the left, it just looks like this expansive place to be able to go out and to look on your balcony and probably look at something beautiful. But in reality, it's just this little tiny um, balcony, and it doesn't really look over anything but a parking lot. There was another one on here, a Hyatt Regency in Washington, and I've seen this before on TV. It looks like the Capitol is just right there. I mean, you, you look out of your window of your hotel, but in reality, it's way down the street, and you've got to walk a little ways to get there. I love this one, the Breezes Runway in uh, Montego Bay. You look at that on the left. I mean, doesn't that look great? That's a place you want to go. Well, in reality, it's a whirlpool, and uh, I think in one of these I looked at, and it wasn't actually the... Uh, the ocean that was out there, it was a water treatment plant. I mean, that, that was the water that you were looking at. And you can kind of see, I love this one, the Ryu Palace in uh, uh, Dominican Republic off to the left. I mean, that just looks like a place you'd want to have your wedding. But if you look over here on the right, look at these ladies that are standing there. Great wedding shot, right? That's exactly what you want. Um, not quite what it was made out to be. The kind of vacation that Jesus offers to us is everything He says it is. Jesus gives the guarantee that if we'll come unto Him, then things are going to happen. We will find everything that we are looking for. He doesn't misrepresent Himself. Come to Me. I wonder today, where is it that you're going? Where are you going with your soul these days? Where are you going to find rest? Where are you going to to find inspiration for your life? Where is it that is filling your soul? 
Well, Jesus, just as he said to his disciples, he looked out at them and saw a bunch of weary people. He looks at us today and says the same thing. We are weary, aren't we? Some of us, well, we, none of us look weary this morning. But chances are we all feel that way especially as we walk in out of the 100 degree temperature and walk into this place. Last night when I was going to bed, it was late, uh, I just kept thinking the air's not working real well in the house and I looked at my temperature gauge and it was 90 degrees and it was, I think, like 9.30 at night. And that kind of thing will make you weary as well. But there are things in life that just make us weary. And we need to realize that Jesus is still the best place to go. How is it that we get there? I love one of the... uh, in one of the Gospels, Jesus is talking about going into your prayer room. He says, if you, when you go to pray, don't stand on the corner and pray all these great public prayers and kind of babble on for everybody to hear so that you can impress everybody. He says, instead of doing that, go into your closet. Go into your inner room and pray in there, just by yourself with God. And your Father in heaven will reward you. I just I keep thinking about that text of Scripture because it is another invitation that God gives to us to come and to spend time with Him. And it really fits in with one of our values here at the church, that contemplative life value that we have, that we want to we do a lot of things in the community. But even more importantly is our, that aspect of, of, of our lives that is the inward and what happens on the interior of our lives. That we want to go broad on the outside, but deeper and deeper on the inside. Jesus is calling you to go into that inner part of you. And maybe it means beginning in your closet where you can get away from everything and everyone and just spend time on vacation with Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. So he not only says where to go, but he says what to wear. And I, we were getting ready for a vacation. Uh, well, when we went last week to uh, Florida, we were going down for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. And it was a great meeting, by the way. It was the 20th anniversary of Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. So it was uh, even more special, I think, than, than any of the others. Uh, but prior to that, we went to Orlando for a few days. And as we were packing and getting some things together, Jenny says, well, well why don't you go out, uh, you know, Dillard's or somewhere, and get you something to wear for the vacation? And I just kind of looked at my clothes and was thinking, well, why do I need to change clothes to go on vacation? I mean, I wear these clothes here. Won't they work when we go to Orlando? She's shaking her head at me. (laughs) And uh, so I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, and I I learned that there is this whole line of clothing that is vacation wear, right? And you go, and I I guess it really fits with your destination. If you're going on a cruise, you've got to have certain clothes to look like you're on a cruise. Or if you're going to the beach, you need to have something a little bit better than the swimsuit I I guess I currently had. But you want to be sure to fit in with the destination, with where you're going. Well, the same thing is true with what Jesus is saying here. He tells His disciples what it is that they are to wear. And it looks just like this. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. If you look again there at the Gospel passage, He says, come to me all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, everyone that Jesus was talking to, they understood what a yoke was. And some of you, if you grew up out in the country, you might know what this is just by looking at it, seeing it hanging in a barn or something. Chances are you never saw one at work uh, because it's an antiquated way of of plowing these days. But everyone, they understood in, in an agricultural sense what a yoke was. 
but they also understood in a religious sense, within their own religion, what a yoke was. They would have this understanding about rabbis having a yoke, and a yoke was their way of teaching. It was their way of life, their way of understanding God's law. And every rabbi had a little bit different kind of yoke. Jesus is looking at some of these religious leaders that are all around him as he is saying these words. And if you back up uh, a, a few verses or, where he, he begins to chide them, and I think Jesus gets, if we could say, a little sassy in this passage. He says, but to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And then Jesus says this prayer, which I think is uh, an interesting prayer as well. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to the infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus is looking at all these people who are fascinated and obsessed with the law. Not just God's law, but all the laws that they added on top of that. Just one law after another. All these things that you cannot do. And Jesus says, that's not the tune that I dance to. I have a, I have a wild rhythm about my life. And it is the rhythm of God in this world. Jesus said, this is my yoke. That is their yoke. If you really want to live, if you really want to have a rested soul, then come and take my yoke upon you, and we will march together. We will go in tandem. What a great promise. What a great thought that Jesus gave to them. And He gives it to us as well. As we think about this in our own lives, we realize the kind of burdens that we carry. I found this uh, on uh, the internet just uh, this past week, and can you imagine being this, uh, this woman carrying all of this on her back? I assume woman. Uh, carrying all of this on her back. I mean, just being weighted down. And we look at that and think, I don't know how people function and work that way. But the reality of it is that represents our lives, doesn't it? Chances are you walked in here with just as much weight upon your soul. You walked in here with all kinds of, of burdens that represent your yoke. Our yokes are made up of religion, aren't they? We love religion as human beings. We, we love to create all these rules and all these regulations. We take the very best that God has designed for our world and we begin to warp it and change it and make it the way that, that we think would represent God. And it never does. History shows that it never does. It's all about what we can do to make God feel better about us. It's, it's us trying to build enough things in our lives to where God will look down on us and say, well, okay, now I love her, or now I love him. So religion is a, is a huge burden that we carry. Maybe you brought that in here with you today. Maybe that's one of the bags that you carried. You want God to feel better about you, and so you came to church, and you're participating in something. And, and, and I want you to keep doing that. But I hope that you're doing it for another reason, realizing that whether or not you participate or not, whether or not you showed up to this place or not, God loves you with an unconditional, eternal kind of love. It is God coming down and working in us and doing for us. It's not what we're doing for God. But another burden that we carry would be guilt. And usually that comes out of our religion, doesn't it? I'm amazed at how many people feel guilty. 
I could make you feel guilty right now. Every preacher has that gift, right? <laughs> just not myself. Don't make me feel guilty. But we all feel guilt. Just by saying guilt, you probably are thinking of some things that you didn't do this past week or some things that you didn't that did that you shouldn't have done and we begin to think in those terms. We feel guilty about things that happened a long time ago. Maybe even a sin that you confessed that God has completely forgiven and forgotten about, but it's still in your mind. It's something that, that you carry with you. And there may be some people who remind you about it. But we carry that burden with us. We carry fear. Some of you are just afraid to live. And as we look at our world, we see people who are, are living burdened by fear. It's a huge bag that we carry around with us. Fear of things that are going to happen or that we think are going to happen. And we live our lives with, with all of the damage that that does to our souls, with not being able to live the risky, full, abundant lives that Jesus has called us to. Maybe it's about commitments in your life. I'm amazed at how many plates we tend to try to spin in our lives, the things that, that we have going on. Uh, we, we say yes to all kinds of things. And by the way, keep saying yes to church, okay? But all the, the plates that we tend to spend in lives, we have all these hobbies, we have work, and, and the things that we keep saying yes to at work, and in relationships, and um, just everything that we do in our community. We have all these plates that we're trying to spend at one time. And we feel like if we add another plate and begin to spend more things, we'll feel better about ourselves, or other people will feel better, or we'll have more significance, and people will think more highly of us. But we realize we can't even spend just a few plates. We certainly can't add any more. Those plates begin to crumble and fall. A lot of times I think what we carry with us is the, the chatter and all the things that go on in our heads. When was the last time you just sat down and tried to get quiet? I was thinking about this last night. I was just sitting down trying to relax a little bit. And uh, what do you think I heard? That's a scary question. I don't want you to answer that. Uh, you know, all the, the, uh, the uh, tree frogs or whatever they're called, cicadas, you know, you hear up in the trees in the summertime. It's just a deafening noise. And it made me think about the noise that whenever we sit down and just try to get quiet and to say a, a prayer, we hear all of these voices and all these noises in our heads. We start thinking about all of our obligations and all the things that we have to do. We start, again, maybe we feel a little bit of guilt or maybe we start uh, thinking about uh, things that we don't want to think about. All this stuff just comes and invades our minds. And again, we don't find any rest. We feel all this burden and this yoke. But Jesus says, take my yoke. Don't take your yoke. Change clothes. Change what you're wearing. Come and take my yoke upon you. What is Jesus' yoke? Well, first and foremost, it is a yoke of grace. As, as we heard here in Song of Solomon, God is calling Israel out of His grace. And He knows the way that the people of Israel have been living and how they've been rebelling against Him and all of this. And God says, I want you to come. Arise. I, I still call you my beloved. I want you to come and exist in this relationship with me. I've always wanted that. And then Jesus says the same thing. Come. Come unto me. For I am gentle. And so Jesus' yoke is invitational, it's gentle, and it is full of grace. We learn more about it as we enter into the teachings of Christ. Jesus said, if you'll abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, your life really doesn't mean much at all. Abide in me. Take my teachings, take my words, take my way of life. 
Look at your life right now. Look at the yoke that you're wearing and the yoke that Jesus offers. And which one of those looks more Christ-like? Jesus calls us to change our clothes and begin living in a completely different way. But Jesus also gives us a great invitation about what to experience. It's not just where to go or what to wear. It is what to experience. You know, if you look at vacations and brochures and things like that, they look a lot like what we looked at. Let me get this lady off of here. Um, they, they look a lot like, uh, you know, something we'd see right here that you would uh, go on vacation. You'd want to look at something that's beautiful, like, not necessarily that woman down there on the beach, but you'd want to you know, be able to look out and see all this beautiful, uh, you know, this beach and the beautiful water and, and just great scenery that's out there. People today also just don't want to see beautiful sights. They want to have great experiences. It's all about the experience. And so people who are planning vacations and, and trying to sell them to the world are doing this uh, out of something called an experience-based vacation. Um, Jenny and I were talking when we were in Florida. She wants to swim with dolphins. I have no idea why she wants to swim with dolphins. But she wants to, I mean, this would be a great experience for her, for her to go and to swim with dolphins. There are people who want to climb in the rim of volcanoes. Why they do that, I mean, some of them go in, but they don't come back out, obviously. Pretty, pretty sizzling vacation. There are some people who want to go and they want to run with the bulls in the streets of Madrid. Uh, some of them don't come back either. It's a, kind of a, a goring experience. But it's all about the kind of experience that you can have. Whether you're skydiving or hiking in a volcano, it's about the experience that you can take with you. And you can go home and you can talk about it and say, look at, look at what we experienced. Well, Jesus offers an experience-based vacation to us. He says, if you will come unto me, I will give you this experience of rest. Jesus said, your, your souls are weary and you will find rest for them. What a great promise he gave to them. And they began to live out and to experience that promise. And they would, these would be words and things that they would continue to think about. Well, what does he mean by rest? Uh, a lot of times we just think about you know, doing absolutely nothing that... Uh, we don't have to do anything anymore. We don't have to live out our faith. And like a lot of Christians in the United States especially, it's, uh, well, I'll just sit around and wait until Jesus comes back. I don't really have to take care of the earth. I don't have to take care of my body. I don't have to do anything. I'll just wait. And uh, whenever Jesus comes back, that's going to be a glorious moment. And we'll go away and go to heaven and everything will be better then. But that's completely opposite to what Jesus is talking about. He says, come into my yoke. I'm going to be on one side of it and you're going to be on the other and it's going to be pretty light because I'm carrying the weight but I want you to work with me and I want you to walk with me. And as you do this kind of work, you'll find that it's really, it's really rest. It's really gentle. Goethe said, rest is not quitting the busy career. Rest is the fitting of self to one's sphere. Tis loving and serving the highest and best. Tis onward unswerving and this is true rest. And this is true rest. This is the rest that Christ has called us to experience. What does that look like in your life? I want you just to close your eyes for just a second, not too long, but just for a second. And just think about what does true rest look like in your life? What does it look like in your relationships? What does it look like in your faith to be at rest? 
What does it look like when you go to work this week? All right, you can open your eyes. I hope that was a happy thought. I hope you found a place that you can return to as you go into this next week. But what is it that that we find rest from? Again, we find rest from religion. We need a good dose of that, don't we? Even if you haven't been in church for a while, you probably still feel a sting of religion in you somewhere about something someone told you you couldn't do or something that you had to do and that you had to live up to a certain standard rather than accepting and receiving the free and eternal grace of Christ. Maybe it's freedom and rest from guilt. Just think about that in your life, to be able to go each day without feeling guilty about something. And that's, it's entirely possible. That's what God has planned for you. And then fear. Rest from fear. To be able to go out into this next week, to go about your projects, to go about your work, to go into your relationships, not having any fear at all. Knowing that you can rest in the security and the strength of God. Well, Christ has called us to a great time of vacation. And I hope that you'll, I hope that you'll take Him up on it. There was an article recently about Starbucks baristas. And, and I was thinking about this because every time I go to Starbucks, the line just seems to get longer and longer. They've gone from several different baristas um, and somebody at the cash register to you know may, maybe two people that are in there trying to do all this in the morning. And there's usually a line out the door. But there was an, an article uh, recently in the Wall Street Journal uh, about this. It says, Starbucks, stung by recent customer complaints, has instructed its baristas to start slowing down as they make drinks. Surveys have revealed that many people give Starbucks pricey drinks an average ranking. Customers also complain that Starbucks has reduced the fine art of making coffee to a mecha- mechanized process with all the romance of an assembly line. So according to a report in the Wall Street Journal, baristas all over the country had been told to stop making multiple drinks and focus on no more than two drinks at a time. Baristas will also start steaming the milk for only one drink at a time instead of steaming an entire pitcher of milk. They also must use only one espresso machine at a time. And it says apparently Starbucks is learning to slow down and smell the coffee. Of course... What's happening now is people are complaining more, like me, that it's taking longer to get the drink. But I thought about that phrase that says, the fine art of making coffee to a mechanized process with all the romance of an assembly line. I think that's how God sees our lives. When He looks at us and sees all that we're doing, all that we're running around doing in our lives that we have turned the fine art of living into the romance of an assembly line kind of Christianity. Jesus has a cure for that. And it's right here in this invitation to a vacation. The question is, this morning, will you take it? Let's pray.